Hi, this is Steve Harkadon, and welcome to Conversations.net. Tonight is Tuesday, February 16th, 2010, and our guest tonight is David Seitman Garland. David, welcome. Well, I, I love the little slide right there. I, I, thanks for having me. It's an honor. <laughs> you, you're certainly welcome to turn on your webcam. Um, what we found is that with the audio and the text chat, it's almost harder to keep track of things if there's video at the same time. A little um, too much for the senses, I understand. Yeah, just a lot going on. Anyway, we're certainly glad yes, to have you here Yes, that's what David tonight. really looks like. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. There you go. You're, but <laughs> your collar's funny. down. The video I watched, your collar was up. Oh, man, the one time I, I, I don't look into the monitor before I shot a video, and my collar was up, and it looked like I was ready for the Yacht Club in 1997, <laughs> or Saved by the Bell with Zach Morris. And of course, I decided I'm just going to post the video anyway because I, I like the video how it turned out. Unfortunately, I look like someone you probably wouldn't want to hang out with in that video. So I'm glad no, you decided a new one's going up tomorrow. You look very preppy. So uh, we're certainly glad to have you with us tonight. The uh, conversations.net and futureeducation.com interview series continues most weeks. Tomorrow, uh, Dan Pink to talk about his new book, Drive. On Thursday, Clay Shirky who will speak about Here Comes Everybody and everything else that Clay talks about so well. Uh, now, that February 18th, Kevin Johnson, that is wrong. That's, the, that's actually been changed to the next week. I think that's the 24th, Kevin Johnson and Susan Manning on Online Education for Dummies. Uh, next Tuesday, uh, Henry Louis Gates is part of our PBS show uh, with Classroom 2.0. On the 25th, Susan Patrick to talk about online learning again. March 2nd, Scott Rosenberg. And then we actually shift into a series with Merlot, the higher ed group that does the content repository. We're going to do some really fun series with them uh, looking at educators who've won awards around their use of Web 2.0 and higher ed. Uh, March 10th, uh, Total Recall. Uh, and you can look at the rest of the list there. Obviously, March 30th, we expect a big crowd for Sir Ken Robinson. Lots of fun stuff. A April 1st, that Carl Blythe from Texas Language uh, Technology. Uh, I saw him speak in San Jose this past summer. And he, he has students at, uh, I think it's University of Texas or Texas Tech. And the older year students, the uh, um, higher level students, actually create the language learning materials for the lower level language students. And it is brilliant. Uh, it, it, pedagogically, it just makes so much sense for that to be taking place uh, and given the capabilities of Web 2.0. So that should be really fun, as all of these should be. Sure looking forward to having you there. OK, so um, I am going to give a brief introduction to futureofeducation.com, conversations.net, and the Illuminate environment with thanks to my employer, Illuminate. Uh, who, who provide me with the time to do this, uh, and LearnCentral.org, which is our free social network for educators, our educational network where you can use Illuminate for free and you can connect with other educators. So we encourage you to go to LearnCentral.org. This is your first time in Illuminate, and that may, I don't know if that's true for anybody in the current audience, but this is an interactive environment. We do encourage you to participate actively. Uh, you can see that you can raise your hand. That's the hand with the green up arrow. You can click on the smiley face, the clapping hand. There are a variety of ways to interact. And if you have any questions, you're certainly welcome to put them in the chat area and send a message. You can send private chat messages, but do be aware that David, Teresa, and I will see those because there's nothing truly private here. The moderators do see everything that takes place. Now I'm going to give you, who are with us tonight, the ability to modify this map 
So to the left of the map, you'll see a little wand with a star. And if you've been here before, you know this drill. Go ahead and put down where you're listening from. You're also welcome to shout out in the chat. Let us know uh, the time and the temperature. And we have somebody finding their way around Europe there. Yes, I'm in Germany. Oh, that's you, <laughs> Teresa. Yes, of course. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Can we make a public <laughs> announcement? We can make a public announcement. Okay, would you do so, please? Yes. So my uh, boyfriend has officially proposed to me on Valentine's Day. So uh, congrats. actually engaged. It's a big one. Yes, not only yeah. did he propose yeah. to you, but he actually brought you over to Germany to do so, right? Oh, yeah, he brought me over and he took me to Neuschwanstein, which is, um, many people know the, the castle at Disneyland. So it's a replica. I mean, actually, this is the real castle, but <laughs> Disneyland is the replica. <laughs> so it really was, you know, it was quite magical. So, yeah, really Congrats, excited. Congrats, Teresa. That's so, yes, big. Thank you very much. Very yeah. exciting. Well, it's, it's two, 2 in the morning here. He's in bed. I'm ready to go. <laughs> Got the Red Bull. Okay, so, well, yeah, we're I'm expecting excited. lots of uh, updates from you, but very fun to, to have that news. Thank you. Okay, so, uh, Teresa, I'm going to turn it over to you. I have saved some personal questions that I'm anxious to ask toward the end, but I'm uh, going to let you steer the show, and let's get going. Great. All right. Well, thank you very much, David, for joining us. Um, oh, obviously, we've met, uh, met before and in person and, and had this conversation um, a few times about how you've gotten started, but I think we should probably go ahead and give an introduction to the group that's here, and if you could give us a little bit of background as to how you got into your entrepreneurial role and um, uh, maybe some background on your, your TV show. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I have one of the weirder backgrounds. Um, it, it started very traditionally. I went to, I went to you know, a four-year university. I went to Washington University in St. Louis. And I graduated with a degree that every straight white male has, and that is women's studies. Uh, so That's if you can find another person <laughs> that has a, a straight white male with a women's studies degree, uh, please let me know. Uh, so I graduated WashU, and I had a big interest in hockey. And originally, I was going to move to the West Coast and work in the hockey industry in marketing, because that was what I was kind of naturally decent at. And what happened was, two weeks before I moved out to take that job, the rink closed and became a parking lot. And so I was stuck there. My first entrepreneurial endeavor was to actually become an entrepreneur, because I didn't have a job to get started. And what happened was, I started by creating a hockey league in St. Louis. That was the first thing I did. Um, it was the first of many entrepreneurial endeavors. And if you fast forward, and that was sort of like getting an MBA in two years in, in the real world. Great successes, big sponsorships, you know, big audience, all kinds of stuff going on. Also, every kind of miserable failure you could put on the block. I mean, anything. So running out of money, you know, I don't know. I'm trying to think of terrible, even worse scenarios than it was. But it was a very real-world experience about entrepreneurship. And what happened was I realized that my true calling from there was in the field of entrepreneurship and marketing. And when I was going through my first business, I wish that I sort of had a digital mentorship or a little bit of help about pointing me towards resources or ideas or tips and tricks and you know, things that were motivating and inspiring, but, but not fluffy not bunny fluffy, but stuff that was really actionable and fun. 
And the idea for the Rise to the Top, which is an interactive resource for entrepreneurs looking to build their business smarter, faster, cheaper, the idea for the Rise to the Top was actually born in a coffee shop. I was sitting there and I was sitting with my graphic designer and I said, you know, I think I'm going to do a TV show. Naive is what I was right then. Um, and that's always been the advantage but that I feel like I've had. How old were you? How old were you at this time? 23. 23. Um, and okay. being naive was the biggest advantage here um, because I, I didn't know how much work it would take. I was willing to do whatever work it was going to you know, take to get done, but I didn't know what I was getting into um, because I'm one of those sort of jump head first, feet first in a cannonball and kind of explode and see what happens. And I started to plan it out, and it, you know, the TV show is a whole story in itself, but that's how it got started. Is really I wanted to create a resource, and I happened to start with TV, and we can dive more into that story as much as you want to as well. Okay, yeah, actually, I think um, one of the first things I wanted to ask is, you know, I, I obviously I pointed out that you're a lot younger, and I think that's actually part of part of the reason I'm extremely intrigued, and I think a lot of other people are as well, because you've, I mean, you've you said you've had three businesses already, and you're under 30. And um, I think there's a lot that we can learn from that. Uh, one of the questions I want to ask is right off the bat: Is do you think there's a big difference between a younger entrepreneur going in, going in versus an older entrepreneur? Well, I think it's good and bad. Yeah, I mean, there's advantages and disadvantages. And, and first of all, here's the thing: is that Gen Y specifically we're kind of little ADD, shiny red ball, text messaging, quick moving, crazy people, right, for the most part. And taking that into consideration is that realize that older generations of all different kinds, for the boomers, um, Gen X, whatever you want to call the different types of generations and quantify them, that we have a lot to learn as young entrepreneurs. And I think that's a big thing that a lot of young entrepreneurs think is that they is that they have all the that we have all the answers you know that we're just ambition alone is going to be enough to to get it going because some people call it the always get a trophy generation whatever you want to call it but so that's kind of my disclaimer of saying that I think younger entrepreneurs have a ton to learn from older generations and vice versa so one of the major advantages that I notice of being a young entrepreneur is people willing to help because if you have that kind of younger, being naive, I'm trying and I'm, I'm working really hard, I had a better chance of landing informational interviews and getting help from people. Um, when I started the Rise to the Top, I said, okay, I'm going to do a TV show with zero experience. I've been, I, I've been on TV, but I, I didn't know anything about producing, editing, at, you know, a little bit about advertising. I had no idea, no idea what I was doing. So I decided to open my extremely large mouth and tell, and tell everyone that would listen to me what I was doing. And I said, if you think it's a bad idea, you know, please let me know or punch me in the face and I'll go away. And if you think it's a good idea, I'd appreciate a tiny nudge in the right direction. And I think being young and asking that question was an advantage because people were willing to help, especially people that had already made it. And they were willing to look and say, oh my God, you know, we've made it. This, maybe he's got a shot and we would like to assist them a little bit. And I'm very, very thankful for all those people that made it possible because um, realize, and I won't hop back into that story, we went from idea in my crazy brain to being on ABC in two months. So wow. we moved re relatively quickly there. Um, like a cre I don't know, that's a whole other story. But on the, other, on the other front, you know, lack of experience and track record 
um, you know, it's always a, it can always be a disadvantage in some respects, you know. And uh, one thing that I was blessed was that I didn't have to raise money. Not to say I didn't need money, because I certainly needed money, but I invested every single penny I had in the rise to the top. Everything. I took every, my bar mitzvah paid for the rise to the top, for the most part. You know, money I'd saved since I was 13. So I, I took a massive personal risk, um, and I think that upped the seriousness of it. But, you know, when you're young and you're just starting, you're going to have trouble getting to venture capitalists and angel investors, all that kind of stuff. And, and in 2010, there's a tremendous opportunity to start businesses and, and, and beyond with far less capital and more motivation and just a lot of hustle. Yeah. Yeah, you use the hustle, the, the Gary V. The Gary V hustle. It's so true. And I think um, one of the things you just mentioned was the personal risk. And I think that's could be an area where maybe the more I don't want to say senior, but someone that's maybe in the been in the workforce longer, the thirty to thirty five, that they're a little bit more hesitant because they see, you know, it, you really had nothing I mean you had all the gain, nothing to lose yeah. compared to someone yeah. that might might be in it a little bit longer. Sure, and you know, I, yeah, the advantage that I had, and this isn't to say that people of any age could do this, because they certainly could. I'm not, you know, saying that at all. But yeah, there was an advantage at the time when I was starting it. I didn't have a wife and kids. I'm actually engaged now as well. But I, I didn't have a, you know, wife and kids. I didn't have um, massive debt from college. So I had some advantages. Uh, of kind of being young and free, I mean, for lack of a better word at that point. But that being said, it's also extremely, you know, scary when, when you're willing to take all your money and throw it into something, regardless of how much that is. That's, that's a scary moment when, when you know it's, it's kind of like I'm all in, all the chips are on the table, and it's kind of up to me to make this happen in, in all our community and the relationships, or it's either going to go down or it's going to go up. So what do you think now, looking back? So how long have you had your your TV show and your website and your and your business? Just two years. So, so so yeah. So the rise to the top was born in a coffee shop in August of 2008. The first episode aired on TV in October 2008. We held our first event in St. Louis for entrepreneurs in December 2008. Um, we started then our new, just, just to give a timeline, started our new daily web show, which I'm probably more excited about than anything we've ever done um, this January, so January 2010. And uh, the final thing, actually spoiler alert, no one knows this one, is actually just recently signed a book deal with Wiley, so that's going to be going on wow, this year as well. So, thank you. So, uh, a lot of a lot of stuff's been going on, and that's sort of the timeline. But it, yeah, it has been a pretty quick, especially saying that out loud. It's been a pretty quick, pretty quick timeline. So looking at that now, and, and looking back, what do you think has been your biggest, has been the biggest challenge, and what you've learned that you'd want to share with everyone else? Biggest challenge, um, you, you know, a, a big challenge early on was. Of course, monetizing is always a challenge with this kind of thing, and, and we have a lot of sponsors, and we have a lot of ways that we make revenue now, but early on it was scary when you had to invest a lot of your own money. Um, you know, I learned a lot of lessons. One great le and I try to learn something every day. I try to at least make one mistake a day as well, um, but I try something new and maybe make one mistake. One lesson early on, of course, was cash flow. 
Um, so you're, you know, someone says, we're going to give you $20,000 to be a sponsor. And you're like, awesome, yes. And then we're going to pay you in 90 days. You're like, oh, boo. You know? And so, so you learn those lessons all, uh, early on, those practical business lessons that, um, you know, only become applicable when they get out of a textbook and in the real world where you're faced against a wall and saying, oh, my God, how am I going to make my next payment? Um, but one of the biggest challenges I faced, and this is one of my favorite stories, uh, was production. So I started the show, and we needed to produce it. And so I hired a relatively ex expensive production studio, because I did some work with them in the past, to shoot the show. And I was given one price to shoot the first episode, because realize we do everything in-house. We do the shooting, the sponsorships, the writing, every single thing gets done in-house. Um, and they charged a certain amount for the first episode, and then I was supposed to have a lesser amount for future episodes. And so I budgeted all that, and I knew what was going on. After the first episode, they come back to me and say, ooh, by the way, it's going to be five times that amount, or we can't shoot any more episodes. And by the way, your next episode has to go on the air in one week. And I was out of money. And I said, I was going to say, this is going to be the shortest business in the history of the world. We started in, <laughs> start in October, we're done in November, right, in 2008. So I had to think on my feet, and this is where a lot of this web stuff comes in, Craigslist and coffee saved me here. Craigslist and coffee. And what happened was, I put out an all points bulletin on Craigslist saying I was looking for video editors because I figured, you know what, there's got to be a smarter, you know, smarter, faster, cheaper way to do this than use the traditional production studio. And this is a testament to all entrepreneurs and people looking to learn about entrepreneurship. There's always a different way to do it than what you've been told or, or what the way you should do it. Um, so what I did what was... What you think is the best way. Yeah, exactly. And you have to take a risk here. I mean, I was sitting there and I'm like, I'm out of money unless I make a move here and we have one week to get this show on the air. Um, so what happened was I put out a Craigslist ad saying I'm looking for freelance video editors for a contest. And what happened was I figured, well, how many video editors are there in St. Louis? 5, 10, 15, maybe 20? I got 98 resumes in, in 48 hours. And I said, oh my God, I don't know what to do with all these resumes. So I started doing a weed out and I got down to 25 that I thought were pretty good video editors. And then I met with all 25 in 48 hours of, at coffee shops across the street from one another. All 25 in St. Louis. And I interviewed each one for like 15 minutes. And I was, I think I had a coffee at each one, and I still think it hasn't worn off to this day here in 2010. But uh, be that as it may, I interviewed each editor, and I narrowed it down to five. And then I told all five editors I was going to pay them no matter what, a small amount, and that every single person was going to shoot and edit an episode for ABC, and the best one is going to go on the air and then get the rest of our business, and the other people are going to be in the pecking order. And what ended up happening was I got unbelievable quality from one of the people, and I decided, you know what, forget the production studio. I'm going to build my own in my condo at that point. Now we actually have a real studio, but I built my own in my condo until my fiance kicked us out. Um, and I saved costs by, you know, being innovative on the Internet and taking a risk, and I saved $100,000 by doing that. And if I hadn't have done that, I wouldn't be talking to you today. I'd, I'd be, like, crying in a, in a corner or something like that. So it was a, it was a, a quick on-the-move play that was a great lesson on, hey, we can do this differently. The do-it-yourself model does work in 2010, and it did in 2008. So you thought you found that you've also found the success in, in using your, your community, whether it's local or just within the country. 
um, tapping into it. So how much of that has been, your success has been the community that you already had built versus just putting it out there to like Craigslist? Yeah, great question. I mean, now the most beneficial thing that we have is community. And, and that's my encouragement for anyone that's considering entrepreneurship or learning more or how younger-ish people are doing you know, entrepreneurial activities right now. I mean, it's really community-based because your community is your strength. Uh, it's, you know, I crowdsource a lot of things. Hey, what's better, this microphone or this microphone? Is, do you guys like, um, do you prefer to put ads on Craigslist or Backpage.com? What's the best website for this? And people now love to jump in on the conversation. Back then, when I was just starting, the people didn't exist. Uh, I mean, they were there, <laughs> they existed, but we just hadn't met yet. Um, and the way I see it is that I had shake, you know, shaken a, uh, enough virtual hands yet in the community. So early on I had to rely on more anonymous things that still work like Craigslist, but now it's unbelievable the support of the community and the way we support each other. I, I view myself as more of a, you know, facilitator and energizer more than anything in the community. Someone that's, a, you know, I'm a participant and also the person bringing the video. And by doing that, you know, everyone is willing to help each other and that's one of the big things in this Web 2.0 world that people forget that it is 100, 1,000% about relationships. And, and, and you bring up a great point, the community is, you know, do or die. And how long, how long did it take for you to build that community? Well, a while. I mean, the reason, you know, there's a lot of web shows. And when I go back in time now, of course, you can't really change anything. I don't know what I would do differently. But my thought when I was building a community was saying, okay, I want to take the TV risk because it's going to separate us from the pack early on. Because there's a lot of web shows, there's a lot of um, you know, blogs. I wanted to do something that was drastically different. And ABC, for the most part, did help build that initial audience, right? But really what I got from ABC was the letters A, B, and C. <laughs> and by that I mean it was a credibility factor. You know, and saying, oh, you know, traditional media still matters in the minds of, of lots of people. And so ABC gave us that built-in audience. It gave us um, a talking point to start building that community. But really, you know, the things that Gary Vaynerchuk and other people talk about, about you have to hustle online and be shaking hands and, and really getting heavily involved as a, an interactive digital citizen, that was when the success started to go through the roof. You know, TV did some great stuff for us. It got, got us a major, a major start and, and was able to land very interesting interviews because of it. But I still think that the future is extremely based online for this community building and, and really redefining what a show is. And we're going to continue to do TV this fall on ABC, but, you know, my time and energy and effort for the most part are 100% dedicated to online. Okay, great. Well, I'm going to take a turn and actually talk a little bit about your show and talk about some of your guests and what you think you've learned from your guests. And um, I think I want to talk about the one most recent everybody in the room knows. It's Seth Godin. Ah, uh, Seth Godin. Uh, you, I mean, I've, I've watched the interview myself, and uh, we're hoping to have Seth on our show. And um, I've just started reading his book. And I think uh, if you could share a little bit about uh, what, what you learned from him with regards to entrepreneurs and freelancers. I think that stuck with me, the difference between what an entrepreneur is versus a freelancer. Yeah, well, it was, it was a true honor to have Seth on the show. I had to butter him up with some brownies. That's a whole other story. 
But uh, ha having Seth on, um, you know, it's a true honor of having someone of such marketing prowess and just he's so smart. Uh, yes, Peggy G, food always does work, always works. Good point in the chat room there. Um, so, so um, you know, Seth, in his new book, Lynchpin, is fantastic. And, and yeah, that was a great point that he made in the interview. One of the major things I learned from Seth is, is a lot of entrepreneurs think they're freelancers. A lot of freelancers think they're entrepreneurs, vice versa. So there's mass confusion. And a freelancer, you know, his argument was, is basically gets paid for time for the most part. Um, an entrepreneur, you know, creates more of a system. And that's kind of a dumbing down. Seth says it very eloquently on there. Uh, and I think it made a lot of people, when they saw the interview, reflect and say, Am I a good freelancer? Am I an average freelancer? Am I a dominating freelancer? Do I not want to be a freelancer? Um, I think it opened a lot of questions because Seth is a big believer and I find this very interesting. He doesn't draw you the map. He asks the right questions. He makes the right assertions, but he doesn't draw you the paint-by-numbers map on what to do, which I think is very interesting, especially in this Internet culture that was really built around paint-by-the-numbers and it's changing, I think, as well. And everybody's seeking that. Everybody probably comes to you and seeks out, how do I do this? What are the steps? What are the tools? Right. When really it's the case by case. Yeah, it is the case by case. And you know what? And that's not to say that there's generalizable tools that are fantastic that people should be using. You know? And I'm talking about physical tools like a microphone. And I'm also talking about tools like Twitter. Because, because let's face it, all this stuff that we're using is tools. But that being said, Understanding the principles behind the tools are what I think is really beneficial. By that I mean the two-way conversations, the interaction, being social, um, helping each other out, the giving first, the community, all these kind of things, um, you know, it, you can learn from the tools. I mean, what's the hottest shiny ball of the day? That's important, sure, if it can help your business, but understanding that higher level stuff and I think also keeping in mind, and this has always been my goal, is long-term strategy, not short-term, sketchy internet marketing or Lord knows whatever you want to call it, something that makes you go, ew, where someone's trying to sell a product for a quick buck. Um, I think that we're going to be dominated online by strong brands and strong presence that are in this for the long run and are really, really passionate about their subject. And I think on the other side of it, it's they started from the beginning, they worked on it. It's not an overnight solution or, or these relationships take time and every social media aspect, I think everybody wants that quick fix solution and it takes time to build that community, that relationship. Yeah, so what absolutely. are some of the tools that you think, what do you think some of the tools are, uh, you know, necessary principles today well, when you're I starting out as an entrepreneur? Yeah, I mean, you know, when you're starting out an entrepreneur, the tool, I mean, tools we can start as basic as you want, but, you know, creating a social and interactive website is one of the first things you have to do as an entrepreneur. And by that, and, and I don't care what you're selling or if you're not selling anything, maybe it's just a blog or whatever it may be, whatever your goals are, having that platform and that hub is so important. And one of the things that I talk about all the time is, because I've made the mistakes myself, I've listened to you know, 50 top entrepreneurs that we've interviewed on this, is you have to kind of know in your gut when to skimp and when to splurge on different things. And a platform and your website is something that you want to take careful care in creating something uh, that is not corporate speak, 
it's, it's interactive in terms of people can leave comments, um, you know, some kind of content, whether it's video, audio, I'm a huge fan of video obviously, but making it where it's more of a community. Um, I think it's one of the critical things to get started as an entrepreneur is you have to have that platform because you can go out and form all the relationships on all the different sites, but if you don't have that platform that you're bringing people to or a hub or a reason why you're doing everything, um, all that time spent networking and promoting others and all the kind of stuff you're going to do, while that's fantastic, it's not going to also help build your business, which of course is a critical aspect of this, not just having fun on there. So I think I'm going to take a little, little change and um, ask you a few questions basically uh, about how you, you know, how you built your community, specifically versus, uh, with your own online community versus your television show. Do you see them as separate communities or is it the same? Good, good question. So the TV show, I feel like, you know, started some of our initial community. Uh, you're going to have more randomness at a TV show because you're going to have a wider demographic and you know I think one of the big things and we talked about this a little bit off camera we can dive into it is is quantifying who is your audience uh, is one of the biggest things and I change that all the time as to where I think our audience is um, and who they are but the, the TV audience you know the, the downside of TV is it's not as interactive you can't tweet me right away or you can't you know, and there's tools that actually are, you can actually start tweeting from your TV pretty soon. But um, that being that as it may, it's it's far less interactive. It's like watching a a tape. Uh, while online, you can leave comments. I always respond to them. Uh, we can interact on Facebook, which I encourage anyone that's listening if they want to come connect, let's do it on Facebook and Twitter. Um, there's so many great ways of continuing a dialogue just beyond the content online, which I think was critical. Um, one of the my biggest tips for building an audience, though is you have to give first. You have to give first. And by that, uh, some of the big things that I did where I saw spikes in traffic and more importantly people that would subscribe and all kinds of stuff was any time that I did a post that was really focused on people that I admired or giving credit to other people or something that wasn't about me. Because it's not about me at all. And I think that it's about you know, trying to make that community. So when I did a list that was called the 35 unique entrepreneurs that are changing the world, uh, that was a list that I did. It was very Web 2.0 heavy, still on our website. And what I did with it, I made the list, and then I sent a quick note to every single person that was on that list. I didn't say, I put you on this list, now give me $50. I didn't say, hey, spread this around to every single person that you know. Uh, I didn't say any, I didn't ask anything. I simply said, you're, you're on this list, you've been an inspiration to me and my business, I follow you, I enjoy your stuff, here you go. Now, lo and behold, all, a lot of them tweeted it and sent it out to their communities of people. And that got people interested. They came back and saw, and saw what we're doing and it was all because it had to be sort of that selfless of, I think this is interesting content, but involve more people beyond myself. And I think that was one of the key things. And then simply being responsive, listening, seeing what people want as we went along there. Well, I think that's great. I mean, I, I definitely think people are surprised how often you put something out there, you give, or you compliment someone, and they actually come back and say thank you. You know, someone that's so busy and they've got, I don't know, Five, they could have 50,000 followers, but really being yeah. genuine and authentic gets a response. 
Yeah, exactly. So, and, and it's not and, and people can read through BS online. They can. So I mean, um, especially with video, what I've noticed too, because it's it's hard to fake video. It really is. Um, which is one of the things why I love video. Um, but what was interesting is that yeah, I mean, people are busy, but you know, they make time and, and, and you have to come at it that non you really have to be wanting to give and you have to expect nothing and that's when everything comes back. Um, because people can read through the lines. If you're saying, um, you know, I mention you, but I expect you to do something, right? People can read through that reciprocation line. That doesn't work. You just have to, you know, be able to give freely and also be ready to receive when it comes back at you as well. That's great. Thank you. Do you want to you want to share about your CNN moment? I think that's pretty exciting. I think that's also yes. a great example of hustling and giving and being at the right place at the right moment, but also being relevant. Yeah, and, and for a disclaimer on this story is that I always say this sometimes, and now I'm ref, I, I'm reflecting on this. And I'm saying I should probably not say this anymore. I always say that you have to have patience, right? Because Gary says that you have to have patience, and you really do. But I don't have any patience, really, when it comes to business for some reason. And I always like to be at least feel like I'm moving forward, you know, one way or another. And it's weird now when I look back and I always say, oh, you have to have patience. I really don't have any patience, so you don't necessarily have to have that much patience. Uh, but that also doesn't mean that you're, you know, you're not working. That's one of the major things. Uh, and CNN is a good case of that. I was so if you can give everybody the, the background a little bit on that. Yeah, so here's the CNN story. I was sitting in a coffee shop um, and I had read a book called Get Seen by Steve Garfield, which is a great book about kind of the technical aspects of online video. And I was sitting with a friend of mine, Nathaniel, and he said, have you heard of the CNNI report? It's a citizen journalist uh, journalism, which I think is a big reflection of what's changing in nowadays, uh, where you can go on this iReport.com, which is run by CNN, and you can submit a video on a topic. If you see one that they are looking for someone to submit video for, that's a good fit with, for you. So if they were talking about, you know, women's clothing, I probably wouldn't do it. Uh, but it just so happened that day that they were talking about the iPad, and I love technology, and I love things related to technology, and they said, what's your take on the iPad? Submit a video. So I said, ah, what the heck? So I went into my production studio and, and realized my production studio is kind of a do-it-yourself, self-contained web dome. So I flipped on all the lights, I flipped on the camera, I popped in front of the screen, and I shot a little video saying uh, what I thought about the iPad before it got launched the next day. And I uploaded to CNN, and then I kind of liked it because it was on iReport, and I thought nothing more would happen. But then, weird thing happened, it started getting a ton of views, and I have no idea why, I still don't, but it got maybe like 10,000 views in 24 hours, which was ridiculous. And I'm driving from a haircut the next day, and, oh, Peggy was one of the viewers, nice. Um, so I'm driving from a, driving from a haircut, and I get a phone call from CNN in Atlanta. And I couldn't believe it. I thought I was, I was trying to think which friend is trying to prank me or whatever it may be. So she says, uh, you know, I'm a producer with CNN. We saw your eye report. We really liked it. Could you shoot another video after the iPad is announced today? And so, of course, the answer there is yes. Of course, I could shoot the video. So I went in there, and, of course, I dressed up you know, like a button-down shirt every day. The one day I don't wear a nice shirt is, of course, the day that CNN calls me. Uh, but that being said, I had to borrow a shirt, put it on there, pop in front of the camera, 
and I gave my reactions to the iPad launch. And what happened from there was ridiculous. CNN then released it to their producers. One of their producers picked it up and put it into a story on CNN.com. And then it actually got all the way to the literally the front page of CNN.com. And that's when all heck broke loose. I started getting emails from people, like people were freaking out. I didn't know what was going on. I was confused. And it got all the way to the front there. Um, and it's just a, I think, a testament of anyone can really be taking action and creating content. And if it's good enough or if it's interesting enough, it could literally rise to the top of something like CNN within hours. That's amazing. And I love it too because you thought, hey, I'm just going to post this story about the iPad, but it's like, hey, of course the iPad is the story, it's the tech story of the year, if not the next last five years. And, and you know, you just took initiative, you did it, and yeah, like you said, just kind of rolled from there. Yeah, it, it was, you know, the, the iPod was hot, so I mean, that was kind of why I chose the story. And there was, you know, I wasn't going to talk about Haiti, and I wasn't going to talk about the Toyota recall. I chose the one that I felt like I was the most qualified, sort of, to at least offer an opinion on. Well, that's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think I'm going to turn it over to Steve. I know he had a couple questions that he wanted to ask you. David, this has been really fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, anytime. So I appreciate you coming out. So I want to kind of, if it's possible, to bring this back to education. And I hope you'll, you'll allow me to do so. Oh, please. So here's the connection that I'm seeing. Uh, you have this brand new sort of long tail of things that we can do entrepreneurially that really come out of the fact that you can now start initiatives uh, authentically uh, on the web at, at, a, at almost zero cost. Meaning if I have something that I'm interested in that's a you know, sort of a small, minute portion of the larger commercial arena, I can now actually get passionate about it. I can, I can create it. The, the story I always tell is I have a skin condition called vitiligo. And it's the same thing Michael Jackson had. You know, your skin turns white. So, nice. you know, I was able to start a vitiligo network for people with vitiligo. It really didn't cost me anything to do so. And it's now, you know, quite popular and very helpful to people. And if I, if for some reason I, I wanted to or needed to, I could actually sort of build a career around it. So I'm curious, uh, there's this long tail now of potential for, for businesses. There's the ability to be authentic and actually um, have that authenticity be a more of a driving force, say, than marketing. So how early should we be teaching students to do this? And if they, if they get to the end of high school or even college and haven't been able to be proactive in this way, have we, um, have we fallen down to some degree? Yeah, that's a great question, especially since, you know, I'm, I'm very passionate about education. Um, I, I was, I'm on the board of a charter school here in St. Louis called Live for Life Academy, and it's, it's a similar question that's going to come up in a board meeting tomorrow on this as well, which I find interesting. Um, but the, the, the thing is, in my opinion, you know, it's very right brain compared to left brain for kids. You know, in school and a lot of times, with the exception of a lot of art and things like that, um, it's very, uh, you know, memorize, do this, things like that, and we don't want, want to think like that. It's more of a creative way. Um, but, you know, I think understanding marketing and also you as a brand, 
you as a brand, as a publisher, I mean, in my opinion, you know, I would have been interested to learn about that in middle school. Now, I'm weird, so I don't know if that's, if that's, if that's a reflection of what kids can learn today, but I think breaking down new business concepts um, and understanding what a business person looks like and how they operate in 2010 is extremely different than it was even 10 years ago because when I was growing up, I was always thinking about, uh, you know, my grandpa because my grandpa was a, is a businessman and he was in very, very traditional industries, banking, oil, things like that. And I always thought that was business. And I think kids, that's what they're going to learn business from is their, you know, their grandparents, their parents, things like that. And if they can understand a little bit more about other options in education, I think that's a massive advantage. And Deborah asked, um, expand that, please. Well, Deborah, here's what I mean by brand. A brand is different than a business. Businesses can be bought and sold. Uh, they can dissolve. You can move on from one business to another. But you as a brand, what you stand for can continue throughout many, many businesses. That's why you see entrepreneurs that maybe started one company, maybe they sold it, maybe they moved on to another company, but them, what they stand for. So what that could be is, you know, energy, creativity, and something else, whatever it may be. But your brand and who knows you and your, your reputation also um, matters in entrepreneurship. And I think it's something that isn't taught, forget middle school and high school, it's not taught in graduate school or, you know, MBA classes of worrying about your reputation online, offline, networking, things like that, which is one of the critical things to building a brand. I agree, Steve, good point on that. Branding is a weird word for education. That's probably why I'm not an educator. Well, I had Dan Schauble, uh, Terry and I had Dan Schauble on, you know, talk about Me 2.0. And we had yeah. to kind of translate his sort of marketing lingo into education speak. But it, yeah. it's not that there's a difference in the idea. It's just that there, uh, you know, you hear the word branding and people think, oh, that's kind of weird. But if you think about, uh, you know, a, a, a girl whose interest is in Civil War uh, historical sites, and she actually creates a reputation around doing the interviewing the docents and building resources around the Civil War. We wouldn't call that branding in education, but we would call it, a, you know, building a reputation. Uh, and I think the end result is the same, which right. is this is an individual who kind of becomes a free agent. Well, yeah, let me let me let me expand for a quick second. Sorry to interrupt you, no, no. Steve, but but a better way to quantify because I actually agree with you. Like, I should have a fluffy bunny next to me, and every time I say something a little bit fluffy, I should hit the bunny or something. But um, the, my, my thoughts on that, on reputation, it's really expertise around an interest. That's really what it is, if you really think about it. And that could be multiple interests. But uh, in the Civil War example that you just said, is that people are now, there's the opportunity to monetize or create a career out of that expertise or passion, whatever you want to call it. Gary Vaynerchuk talks a lot about it. I love Gary V. Um, you know, I'm talking a little more tangible stuff. I think that's something that we talk about is some actual tools and, and more specifics and strategy. But the concept that he, he preaches about is one that I share with him, and I've had talks with Gary about this, is that you can literally take an interest for anything, just like you were talking about with the skin situation. I mean, that is obscure. Right? But you, you can create. If you're passionate enough and you learn through school and through real-world real uh, applications about how you can take that interest and turn that into a, a full-fledged or small-fledged business, I think that's a huge thing 
that kids can understand, and so that you're not telling them that it's it's bad to love cowboys because you know it could be that if you become the cowboy expert, there's a huge opportunity there for thought leadership. So I'm going to temper that only slightly because I really agree with you, but I'm not sure it's necessarily just about business and education. I think in part it's just about proactively being involved in a project that may or may not turn into a business, but puts an individual into a position of actually creating. And that creation, that creation may or may not result in commerce, but it may just be, hey, I'm, you know, this is an academic interest, or this is something I do, and it, it may or may not carry into college or to my career, but I'm making a difference in some way. But really, yeah, no, exactly, exactly. I mean, I, I, I come from the school of thought of I want to combine passion, creativity, energy, and business. But you know, other people may not. But I mean, the, the general creativity out of there, um, as you mentioned, I think that's yes, that's a critical element. So quickly, I want to go to the other end here, um, because I'm seeing a lot of older executives who are out of work, and you know I'll talk to them and say, you know, what are you doing, and what are your interests, and they they they'll say, well, I've been out of work for 18 months, and I'll think, gosh, this is uh, this is almost tragic that they don't know how to enter this new world, or sometimes they don't even know that it exists. So have you seen anybody sort of effectively help this older group uh, sort of discover the new economy on the web? Man, that is an absolutely fantastic question. Um, you know, one, one thing that I'd say is, you know, I think we're, we're trying to position that a little bit for us as the rise to the top. Um, because one of the big things is that we want to, we approach technology and understanding the digital world as a, fun collective, um, not over your head, not talking down to you experience. Um, something that, yes, you can learn even if you don't know the difference between a megabyte and a spider bite. Um, and I think what I've noticed is that, and this goes back to the whole know your audience situation, when I started my show, I thought it was going to be for young entrepreneurs starting a business. And as we evolved, I realized that that term can be vastly di differentiated, and it's really young and young at heart. And that's the big opportunity that I see there is that, yes, you know, just because the tech geeks and the young kids understand it, um, you know, there's a big education gap of, you know, no matter what age you are, you can learn how to maximize these tools. You just have to be educated on which tools to use, why you should use them, and how that's going to benefit your business, and just the higher principles of if this tool crashes or disappears tomorrow, you'll be able to find another one. And I think communities like the Rise of Top or my community, we're trying to do that. We're trying to say, you know, we're here to help. Um, we don't care if you just got on Twitter. We don't care if you don't even know what a tweet is. We don't care if you, don't, if you think Facebook is a mirror. Um, we're, we're here to help with these tools and help you create something around your passion or, and your expertise. Terry, do you want to try and do a little Q&A? Yeah. Is there, I don't know, Peggy, did, did you have a question before? And the bite, megabyte and spider bite. Uh, you know what you're good at, No, David? I don't mean that one, but. <laughs> I, you probably know that you're good at this, but you are good at sort of turning a phrase and, and, and being very genuine in doing so. Yeah, I'm just weird, but I appreciate it. So what do you, what do you think is the direction for 2010 for an entrepreneur? Is there a difference between 2009 and 2010? 
Uh, I, I think there is. Um, you know, as as stuff starts to become more mainstream, um, people are becoming more digitally educated. Uh, by that I mean Twitter, no one knew what was going on, you know, about a year and a half ago. And now it's becoming somewhat of a household name. Um, online video is getting smarter, faster, cheaper. The ways that you can produce video and get it up on the web inexpensively and make it look good is becoming much more inexpensive. Um, that being said, you know, I think it's people are starting to get away from shiny red ball syndrome in 2010. And by shiny red ball, what happens is the newest, coolest, sleekest, sexiest digital product comes out, like Google Buzz. I'm just going to pick on Google for a second. And everyone runs over to it like it's the greatest thing since sliced bread, for example. And it's not. It's like terrible moldy bread. Um, but the point being is that I think people are starting to look more of a long-term strategy when in 2009 it was a lot about, okay, what are, what are these tools? I don't even know what's going on. What are these tools? Now it's more, okay, if something new comes in, you have to be educated enough and learn enough of saying, is this something that's going to help build a business? Or is this something that's just going to waste my time or be fun? Because I'm not downplaying fun. Fun is fantastic. And Seth Godin talks about this too. But what's actually going towards building your business and what's just kind of all that other stuff? Because there's so many things that you can do digitally. I think quantifying the most important things, maybe just five, five things that you want to focus on, um, I think canceling out that noise is, is critical for entrepreneurship in 2010 and beyond. So value. Value, that absolutely. There needs to be value. There has to be relevance and value. And I think you're right. That's what's missed with so many people saying, oh, we need Twitter. I'm like, well, you're a law firm. What do you need you Twitter need for? Any, you don't need anything. I mean, you don't need. Exactly. It's not like no one wakes up in the morning and, and they, you know, they can't get out of bed because they don't have their Twitter, you know? Hey, so Will right, I've got a, a couple questions yeah, here. Go, go, Teresa, Sorry. go. Okay. Um, Will said, uh, what type of curriculum should he be focusing on when teaching entrepreneurship? Do you think it's more technology-based? Well, here's my thought. Technology is extremely important, but it's not the only thing. And by that I mean I think taking older school business principles that have, it, that have been around forever, you know, principles of relationships and you know, even highly effective habits of you know, all that kind of stuff. The principles don't really change, but the tools do. And they make things, you know, as I said, and I've said this a lot, smarter, faster, cheaper. Um, so I would say it would be interesting to take older principles, compare them to new technology, or back and forth, saying here's Twitter, and here's the three major things that focus still on relationships. And that's the biggest thing that I think that can be taught in entrepreneurial classes, is that the principles of relationships don't change. The world is becoming more connected, people are becoming more accessible, and that's important in, in how to understand that and use the tools, but that whole focus on relationships and doing good business and being a good person and having a good idea and following through, all that kind of stuff is still relevant in 2010 as it was you know, over the last century. And we also have a question from Peggy. Um, do you find that people who say, I, like basically they did what you suggested and it didn't work out for them? Maybe they followed some of your, your suggestions and you know, it this didn't take them in the direction that they expected it to go or they anticipated. Yeah, you know, I'm sure I can't I can't think well, 
you know, a part of it, and it's, it's, it's going to go back to that word I, I hate, patience. Um, a lot of people sometimes will take a tool, and I'm going to use an example, a Facebook fan page. So someone came to me and said, how do I, you know, I create my Facebook fan page. So, so this is how you do it. So I created a Facebook fan page, invited some friends there, and had a couple people going, and then waited a week, and then was pissed off that they didn't have like a million fans, right? And it's expectations. It's expectations of how you're using these tools. Um, and also, just because that stuff is quicker and cheaper doesn't mean it takes any less effort. It actually probably even takes more left effort to be beneficial. So if you're, if you're not willing to put, put in the effort and you're looking for that quick fix or you're looking for an overnight solution, um, anything I say will be disappointing. Well, I, think it's, I think it's important too. Um, one of the comments just, just came through is it's important to teach students that failure is okay and that, it's, that it is a learning experience. And I think you mentioned that at the very, very beginning that uh, the younger generation comes in and thinks, hey, you know what, I've learned all this, I know what I'm doing, but I mean, I've been victim of it myself coming into the business world for a couple of years, but hey, you know what, I know how to use YouTube, I've been using it since day one. But it doesn't mean I know how to link it, I mean, I do now, but it, at the time I didn't know how to link it to a, a marketing strategy. Yeah, good, good so. point on there on failure, and Steve, that's probably the nicest compliment I've heard. He said I'm like a tempered, more rational <laughs> Gary Vee. I'm going to tell Gary Vee that. Um, so, so my thoughts on failure, um, I think that businesses in 2010 and beyond can view themselves as businesses, but also as an experimental lab. Because making mistakes now is far less costly than, say, 10 years ago. And what I mean by that is not, not that if you go punch someone in the face, it means less. I mean, don't do that. But I'm talking about you know, marketing, advertising, the startup costs of businesses, extremely high. I mean, if you bought a billboard or a TV ad or a radio ad or whatever it may be, that was a significant capital. And if it didn't work, which many of them did not, you'd be screwed. In 2010 and beyond, if you can experiment and fail and try different things online, online was meant to be experimental. It's meant to try things and, and, and see what works and what doesn't. Um, every day I try to experiment and fail. And I, I think that, you know, for students of any age, it's so important to understand that, you know, you should get a gold star for failing because you tried something. As long as that you're willing to innovate and try something different or put your own unique spin on it, I don't care if you go down in complete flames, it's, it's that you took the risk and then more importantly, you also learn from it. So I'm not saying just fail, 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 fail. I think it's important to say, okay, I tried this. It didn't work because of this. Now I'm going to try this. And if you use that very simple mentality, I think that's going to be the key to success because you're behind a computer. You're in front of the real world. Why not experiment? I mean, the opportunity is there. Oh, great. And that, so for you, moving forward, you, you mentioned that you have a book, so congratulations on that. So what are your, what are your future moves? Where do you go from here? You know, does your does your show go live? Um, is it syndicated nationally? Is it are you going to bring more focus back to your online your online community and show? Yeah, you know, great questions. Um, you know, right now, uh, my goal was to build up a community large enough where they could kind of drive it um, with my sort of being sort of being the headlights um, <laughs> right now. And uh, the you know, the yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I guess someone needs to be looking. Uh, but 
the, you know, in my opinion, first of all, I really want to focus on our online community. That's my number one priority. Um, and just because it's an online community, I don't want to confuse that with real world because real world and online community I value as the same. So by that I mean going to events, shaking hands with people, hanging out. That stuff is all part of the online and offline community. So bridging those together is something that I feel is very important and more valuable. Uh, we're going to continue on TV here. Uh, the book is going to obviously get a lot of attention. Um, you know, I, I want to I keep our focus really being online and seeing what happens from there. I mean, if, if uh, a TV station wants to come to us and, and pick something up in the future, um, I, I'd be interested in it, but I wouldn't guarantee that I would do it either uh, because I like the ability to experiment and I like the ability that I can kind of do whatever we feel like for a given day. And I think if I put in that very structured environment, if you have to do this on TV or you have to do this for syndication, it's just not going to fit with my mold um, personally. And so I want to continue to build that online brand. I, I, I really enjoy, if I have my choice of what to do on a daily basis, I do three things. Um, and these are work-related. I like other things outside of work, I promise. Um, and that is create video. Um, it's to write and to speak. Um, and I would add listening as part of all that kind of stuff and, and having conversations with people is a big aspect of it too. But those are things that I want to do um, and those are things I hope to continue to do in 2010. How about, have you, have you ever considered or thought about a, like an apprentice mentorship for um, high school students, college students? You know, you've been through this, you've, you've seen it and you can relate to them, they can relate to you. Yeah, you know, I'd love to. I, I mean, I, I love education, and that's why it was such an honor being on the show. Um, it, it just, uh, you, you know, for me, I'm speaking actually uh, next week at Junior Achievement in St. Louis, so speaking in front of several hundred high school kids that are interested in entrepreneurship, and for me, that's very energizing um, because if I can inspire young and young at heart entrepreneurs, um, and, you know, if they can learn stuff from me one way or another, I, I'd always be open to unique ideas. And one of the biggest challenges that happens is when you start a business like I did, I had no money when I invested it all, but I had lots of time. And now it's starting to somewhat shift. And time is becoming a premium. And that's one of the critical things that I'm thinking of long term is how to, how to maximize time, you know, between speeches and, like you said, mentorship and, and the show and things like that. Um, you know, really having a good grasp on time is one of the biggest challenges that I'm facing right now and it's something that I will continue to learn and I'm sure fail a bit and, and continue in the future. Well, thank you so much. I think we've got about a minute left and I want to thank everybody for participating and I guess we can all give them a little hand, give a clapping hand, clapping hand. And thank you so much, right. David. I really I appreciate it. And I, I, it I think everybody is going Come to your website, get the resources that you have there, and share them. Well, I, yeah, I appreciate mm -hmm. it, guys. And, you know, thanks everyone for taking the time also to to listen and interact. Uh, this was uh, uh, absolutely fantastic. And you can find me at theriseatop.com. Um, everything's linked up there, social networks. And you know, if you have any questions on anything, I'd, I'd be more than happy to help. Great, thank you so much, David. Thanks, David. Steve, have we lost you? No. Okay. <laughs> hey, thanks, Teresa. Great job tonight. Hey, you you did it. Thank you. Thank thanks you. Thanks to Learn Central, Illuminate, C. Bloom and Associates, who pay for all the books I buy. Thank you, Charlene. 
Uh, don't forget we've got some fun sessions coming up. Uh, I think we're going to skip the post show tonight just because I have another commitment. But thanks for attending. David, really a pleasure to meet you and I uh, really appreciate your coming on tonight. Likewise. And I tell you what, I always love innovative technology, innovative people, and, and I'm inspired. I tell you what, the, the pleasure was all mine. Teresa, it's so 3 a.m., right? Yes, it is. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> get some sleep. Thanks, David. Thanks, All everybody, right. for coming. Signing out, then. <laughs> Bye. See you tomorrow for Dan Pink. Good night.